know, you can be seated this morning just for a moment. You know, we used to say this little prayer when we were kids. We used to say it is our grace. We'd say, God is great and God is good. I don't know if you realize the magnitude of those words when we say that God is great and God is good. And I have found the Lord to be great in my life. I found him to be good in my life many times. And I'm thankful today for the faithfulness of an almighty God who is great and he is good. Can, you get a, can I get a good church amen if you're glad about that today? I'm going to ask you to reach for your Bibles this morning, please, and go to the book of Matthew chapter 1. I'll give you a moment to find that while you're doing that. I'll tell you a couple of things. First of all, thank you for... Uh, the last several weeks as we have implemented some new stuff with our bulletin and our connection card and you have uh, jumped on with that and you've been faithful to come in and get a bulletin and fill that connection card out if you have a prayer need or um, if you want a CD. Uh, to our guests, thank you today for taking a moment to fill that out and dropping it off by the Information Center for us. And I do appreciate it. There's been a lot of things we've been changed, a lot of things have been going on and I am I'm grateful for your willingness to, uh, to, be, to, to get on board with that and to help me as we implement some of those changes. Let me tell you just, a, just one or two things quickly. Tonight is the second Sunday night of the month, so that means that it's our Sunday night connect service tonight at six o'clock, and I do want you to be here tonight and be a part of our Sunday night connect. Uh, it's gonna be a wonderful time to be together in the presence of God, so make sure that you are here for that. Uh, let me tell you one other thing. Uh, the Sunday night connect service the last of this month, we do it the second and the fourth, we're gonna have a short business meeting on the uh, fourth Sunday night of this month, our Sunday night connect service. I'm just gonna give you a brief financial overview of where we have been since January up to this point. And I just wanna show you where we are, income expenditures, tithe offerings. We're gonna do that at the beginning of our Sunday night connect service on the 26th. Uh, so I want you to be here, be a part of it. It'll be very short and then we'll uh, transition into our service. So I want you to be here and be a part of that because I want you to see some things that are happening, some things that are going on. The book of Matthew chapter 1, I'm going to invite you, even though I let you sit down, if you don't mind, I should have had you keep standing. I'm going to ask you to stand back up with me this morning, uh, if you don't mind, please. Now, so let me tell you, we are working diligently, we're working very hard uh, with our nursery ministry. Uh, we are making some, some changes there. We're revamping and redoing and remodeling. Uh, some things in that nursery and some of the structure and the setup that we have and uh, hopefully by the first Sunday of May we're going to launch that introduce that in the meantime it is still well staffed there are still people in there our kids are being taken care of I'm just going to invite you to utilize our nursery facilities uh, and, and use those and I'm just going to ask you if you don't mind and I want to be very kind when I say this if your child becomes fretful or fussy during service we just invite you just to quietly slip out and you can take them to the nursery or to the lobby area if you don't mind to to help us with that so we can keep our distractions at a minimum so we can get the best out of service and maximize our time together. Can you say amen if that's all right? Book of Matthew chapter one. Now when I begin reading these verses, <clears throat> you're probably going to wonder why I'm reading these verses. Uh, so if you've got your Bible, Matthew chapter one, we'll begin reading in the first verse and these are on the, uh, it's on the screen for you this morning. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Verse 3, Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Everybody say Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Weren't you glad? Aren't you glad you weren't born during the Bible times? Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Somebody say Rahab. And Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Somebody say Ruth. And Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. And the implication here is by Bathsheba who was the wife of Uriah. Those six verses contain the names of four different women that over the course of the next few weeks I want to preach to you about. And I want to use this title for this series and I just want to simply call it Bad Girls of the Bible. My goal is to unpack for you the next few weeks some insight and some things. I'm going to pray. You can keep playing. I'm going to pray. Don't quit. Don't quit. I'm going to unpack for you some insight and some revelation about some of these women that possibly maybe you've never seen or never heard before. We're going to make personal and practical application about these bad girls that turned good that God used to speak into our lives. So today I want to talk to you about the girl of second chances. The girl of second chances. Could I invite you one more time, if it's okay, right before you're seated. I want us to pray together and then we'll be seated. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the truth of scripture. God, I believe today that you want to do something significant and lasting and impactful today in this moment. So I want you to help us today, God. Give these people today revelation of the Scripture. Give me today, God, your servant, the ability to articulate what you want to say to them today, God, through your Word. And when we leave here this morning, God, may we leave here changed by the power of the preached Word of God. And we love you and we bless you today. In Jesus' name, the church said amen. You can be seated. Brother Mike, thank you so much for your help today, my friend. <clears throat> Let me begin by simply telling you this, that genealogies bore me. So-and-so begot so-and-so who begot so-and-so. And if you've ever read any, any of the genealogical passages of Scripture, it can make for some very difficult and tough reading. There is a book of the Bible called Numbers that goes through a lot of census and counting and there's genealogies and that so-and-so was born from so-and-so and you just go through different books of the Bible that talk about so many of those things and it can make it can make reading a little hard sometimes but there was something about this particular genealogy that struck me not not just because it's the genealogy of Jesus Christ you do realize that those four ladies that I read about just a moment ago are part of the lineage and the genealogy of Jesus Christ. 
that in itself is amazing. But the fact that the writer would, would, would highlight those four, only those four women, the only women to be listed in that genealogy of Jesus, is interesting to me. When you look at their names and who they are, they don't seem to fit in this list of who's who of biblical greats. First of all, because of their, their race. Three of them were Gentiles. One of them was a Hittite. Not only because of the race, but because of their reputation. One of these girls was involved in an incestual relationship with her father-in-law. One was a prostitute. A third one was an adulterer. And another one of these women was connected to a foreign nation that was known for their idol worship of pagan gods. So we sit here this morning and we look at their names and you hear some of this and we wonder how did they make it in to the genealogy of Jesus? That's not the question that I'm really concerned about how they made it in, but what I want to help us understand today is that the question I'd like to ask is what do they teach us about the grace and the mercy and the love and the willingness of God to accept anybody and everybody? I mean, if you go through the Word of God, there are, there are men and women that God used in spite of themselves. I mean, Moses was a murderer, was he not? The great Jacob was a lie and a cheat. David, King David, we just finished a, a Wednesday night study on him, the man after God's own heart, the only man in Scripture to be called a man after God's own heart, was a murderer, he was an adulterer, and he had huge issues with pride. Peter, the great apostle Peter, who would get up and preach one sermon on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people would come to find the Lord. But prior to that, Peter was a coward. Peter denied the Lord at a very critical moment in time. Peter was known to lose his temper and pull out a sword and cut off somebody's ear and then cuss and swear. Read your Bible. Here's the point. Here's the application. That regardless of who we are, and where we are from and what we have done, God has this incredible plan for our lives. And regardless of what walk of life we've come from, what we've, what we've ever been involved in, God loves us, God has a plan for us, and God wants to do something great in our lives. You are here this morning, aren't you? Are you awake? Just making sure. So let me take just a moment this morning. I want to talk to you about the girl of second chances today. This was the very last woman in this text that I read to you about. And while her name is not specifically mentioned, if you look at verse 6, the implication is, and we know exactly who the writer is talking about, 
that David the king begot Solomon by her who had been, that's important, she had been the wife of Uriah. And her name is Bathsheba. And she is the woman, she is the bad girl of the Bible that reveals to us this thing called second chances. Let me take a moment for you this morning. Let me unpack some things for us and see what she teaches. Number one, I want to talk to you about her story. Like most of these bad girls of the Bible, her story is a made-for-TV movie. 2 Samuel 11 and 12 details for us the events of her mishap. The Bible tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 11 at a time when kings normally go to war. The king of Israel at this time is a man by the name of David. David has sent his men into battle. They are engaged in warfare. But David, the great king, not only was he a great king, but he was also a great warrior. We've talked the last several Wednesday nights about the fact that he was a singer, he was a shepherd, he was a soldier, he was a sovereign king, he was even a sinner. And at a time when kings go to war, the Bible says, David decided he wanted to stay home and take a break. He decided he wanted to stay home and rest a little bit while he sent his men out to do battle. The Bible tells us he woke up from a nap one day. Now, I'm going to do a little storytelling here, so I may... I won't change the meaning or the context of the scripture, but I'm going to give you a little bit of imagination if that's okay. If it's not, I'm going to do it anyways. It'll be okay. So David wakes up that day and he stretches great big and yawns and he opens up the doors of his balcony of that kingly palace and he walks out, looks across his courtyard. And there is this woman on top of her roof taking a bath. And the Bible said that it gives us some detail that when David looked at her and saw her, it says that she was very beautiful to behold. And what David probably should have done that day after he walked out on his balcony, because here's the truth, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was not supposed to have been at home resting. He should have been with his men on the battlefield. And let me just help you understand that you can get yourself in a lot of trouble and get sideways real fast when you get yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now, I've been fairly nice the last five or six weeks. I'm going to preach some in-your-face truth today, okay? And ten of you want it, so I'll give it to the ten of you that said amen and come on. <clears throat> when David sees her, Obviously, the embers of his being begin to burn with passionate lust for this woman. When David made that look and he took that, that made that glance, he should have turned around, walked back inside, but he didn't. And the Bible said that he sent and he inquired about who she was. That's mistake number two. It didn't matter who she was. And when the messenger came back to David, if you look at 2 Samuel 11, the messenger said to David, Is this not Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? 
And it's a question mark there. And it's almost as if the messenger is trying to warn David, King David, you need to be careful. She's already spoken for. She's already taken. This is the wife of Uriah. She's married. David, she's off limits. You can't have her. But that did not suffice for the king because what the king wanted, the king said he's going to get. And when the king got her, he got a lot more than he bargained for. Oh, I'm going to preach today. So after he inquired of her, he sent for her and Bathsheba came in to the king's palace and they engaged in an adulterous, sexual, illicit relationship. The Bible begins to lay out for us what happens after that. Now listen, who can really blame Bathsheba for at least having contemplated the invitation of the king? I, I'm not sure she knew exactly what he wanted. But I mean, the king has invited you to come to his palace. I don't know, oh Lord God, I don't know if she anticipated a sexual relationship. And I expected it to be quiet today because I'm getting ready to lay some heavy stuff out here because the Holy Spirit's just spoken pretty plain to me this week. And that is usually how most relationships that should not be happening, that's how they start. Just what we think is an innocent inquiry. And you look and you talk and you conversate and there's this connection made and then there's a big mess. Who could blame her for at least contemplating the invitation? But there's been so many times that we have preached this and read about this, we lay all the blame at the feet of King David. I don't read anywhere where David forced her to come to that house. Now, I'm not trying to, 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 to unpack this and, and have, you know, play this blame game, who's at fault. I'm going to show you something in a moment. I don't read anywhere where David forced her to have a sexual relationship with him. She was her own volatile being that had a choice to make. So I'll tell you who was wrong. They were both wrong. It takes, man, I feel really bold today, and that's dangerous for you. It takes two to tango. It takes two to make a marriage work, and it takes two to mess a marriage up. I didn't come today to preach about marriage. I, gotta, I need to move this, by the way. And I, let me just tell you this. This is way off the record and off topic. We've moved the pulpit because I can't stand being having this barricade between me and you. I like to be, is that okay? I like to be near you and talk to you. And I feel really separated when I got that big pulpit there, so you're probably not going to see the pulpit anymore. And I may have lost half of you, and there goes my message down the drain. But it, it is what it is, because I want to be close to you. I like you. It takes two to make it work, and it takes two to mess it up. And I've had a lot of people over the last 20 years sit across my desk. And husbands blame wives, and wives blame husbands, and it's his fault, and it's her fault. And here's what I've come to find out. The truth is always somewhere. There's two sides to every story, and the truth is always somewhere in the middle. It wasn't all David's fault. It wasn't all Bathsheba's fault. But both of them together made a choice that day. 
And her story of, for the rest of her life is going to be marked by that decision that she made that day. And here's the application. Every one of us in this place today, we all have a story. So, somebody say amen. I, I got to make sure you're here this morning. Our story is part of who we are. And regardless of who we are or where we are from, all of us have a story. And we have a before Christ story and an after Christ story. You've got a story before you found Jesus, and for a lot of you, it's probably pretty colorful. But you've also got a story after you found Jesus that makes the story before you found Jesus mean a whole lot more. And I could, listen, I could sit here this morning after 20 years of ministry and I could tell you some stories that would probably make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. I could tell you some things that people have sat across my desk and told me about their story. And listen, your story is not the same as the person's story beside you. But here is the fact of the matter this morning. We all have a story. And most of our stories before our relationship with Christ started is not anything that we are proud of but here's what your story says if you're willing to tell your story if you're not ashamed of your story it just says to people that we are a product of the mercy and the grace and the kindness and the favor of God don't be ashamed of your story don't be ashamed of where you have walked don't be ashamed of where you are from because you can look at somebody and tell them if it was not for the grace of God I would not be here today but God reached his hand down and God has changed my life and God has saved me and God has redeemed me and God has restored me and God has given me a second chance. If you're glad about that today, come on and praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, Bathsheba had a story. Let me talk to you about her sorrow now. Because with our stories, sometimes there's some sorrow that's connected with the story. I'm going to come down here and preach to get a little closer to you. Is that all right? Her sorrow came because of the choice that she made. And she made a bad choice that day. She made a bad choice to go to the king's palace. She made a bad choice to slip into the bed with him and have an affair that was wrong. And that is going to become part of her story, and God, you're going to see, is going to use that story to show us some things. But the choice that she made that day cost her a couple of things. Number one, it cost her the life of her husband, Uriah. Because as you follow her story, you're going to find out that Uriah, who was her husband, was also one of David's men that was in his army. Uriah was one of David's top warriors. And when David and Bathsheba made the choice that day, they chose an action, but they also chose a consequence. And in that one, man, I, I feel the Holy Spirit today. He's just talking to somebody. And that one fleeting moment of pleasure because it was all about how they 
felt at that moment. Anytime that you make a decision based on how you feel, more than likely it's always going to be the wrong decision. Bathsheba, that one moment of pleasure, she ends up pregnant. And the king now has a mess on his hands. Somehow David has to figure out how he's going to conceal and hide his sin. I don't have time to go in and tell you everything about this, but to make a long story short, David is going to manipulate and maneuver in such a way that he was going to send Bathsheba's husband Uriah at the request of the king now by the hand of a messenger to put him on the front lines of battle where the fighting is fierce. Matter of fact, if you read the story, he wrote that down, put it in Uriah's hand. After he tried to get Uriah drunk and force Uriah to go in and have sexual relationship with Uriah's wife, and Uriah wouldn't do it. His men are on the battlefield. I can't do that when my men are out here fighting. And David finally is going to grow desperate and he's going to write a message to take back to the commander of the army, put Uriah in the place where the fighting is fierce and make sure he dies. That's exactly what's going to happen. Uriah carried his own, his own death in his hand, so to speak. And he ends up dead. So Bathsheba has now lost her husband. And then secondly, what's going to happen because of the choice that she made, the child that was conceived in that relationship, God said, that child's going to die because of your sin. Pastor, that just doesn't seem fair that God would allow something like that to happen. Here, here's the truth. When you choose to be involved in a sinful lifestyle or you choose actions that are sinful, that transgress and trespass the Word of God. Listen, your choices always affect more than just you. I know this is a little heavy for us today after we celebrated Easter last Sunday, but I've got to give you the truth today of Scripture. That your actions affect more than just you. So her husband's dead. A child that is born to her is going to die. Because here's a principle that you can never get away from. That whatever you sow, you're always going to reap. And Scripture teaches us that when you sow to the flesh and you make decisions based on how you feel, there's always going to be consequences. James said that when sin is conceived and is brought completely forth, it brings forth death. She made a choice that day. It cost her her husband's life and her child's life. I'm telling you that there are choices that we make sometimes in life. And there are some of you here this morning that are sitting under the sound of my voice that you've made some choices throughout your life. And some of those choices have cost you dearly. We can make choices that will kill a marriage and fragment a relationship. We can make choices, and some of you have made choices that have greatly affected your job, 
or your relationships with your kids or your mother or your father. Choices that, can, that we make that can drastically impact and affect the dreams that we have, the hopes that we have, and the, the vision that we have for our lives. Choices that we make that alter and affect the peace that we want to live with. I want to tell somebody this morning in this place, you can't go back and undo or redo anything that you've done in life. But you can make a decision today that you're going to let the grace and the mercy and the love of a God whose heart just beats with such love and care for you, you can make a choice today to lay some of that down at the altar and stop carrying everything you've ever done around with you. Decisions that she made, that decision at that moment, it cost her. I just feel like this morning I need to talk to somebody and I need to tell somebody that's maybe living right now with the consequences of some choices that you have made maybe way back in the past and you're still living with the consequences. You cannot get rid of the consequences but you don't have to carry around the condemnation anymore. You may have to live with some decisions that you've made and the consequences that have come with that. You may never be able to get rid of those, but you don't have to walk around anymore. If you've given your life and your heart to Christ, you don't have to walk around anymore with the condemnation and the guilt of what you've done. There is freedom that is found in Jesus. There's her story. There's her sorrow. <clears throat> Let me talk to you about her second chance. Pastor, did God really give her a second chance? Well, let's, let, let, let's go a little further and see what happened. After that child that was conceived out of that relationship had died. The Bible says that David comforted because David did try to make it right brought Bathsheba to his palace. They married. But that did not negate the consequences of the choices that they have made. And I don't, I'm not trying to browbeat you today, and I don't want you to leave here under a feeling of, of dread and gloom. You, you can go back and try to make things right, and well, you should, that doesn't always cancel out the consequences that came with the bad decision that maybe you made. Now watch this. The Bible said that David comforted, comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and he laid with her. They're physically intimate. The Bible said that she bore a son and called his name Solomon. Solomon, the great, one of the greatest kings of Israel. The wisest man that ever walked the face of the earth. And do you realize that Solomon 
came out of a messy, messed up relationship? The point is this, God can always bring a miracle out of the mess of our lives. And she bore a son named Solomon. And the name Solomon, you're going to find in my preaching, I love word studies and I love the meanings of names and words. His name literally means to be well or happy or peaceful. Here's Bathsheba's second chance. The first baby died, but God said, Aunt B, I'm not done with you. Even though you've messed up. And even though you have made a train wreck of so many lives, I'm going to give you another chance. And he opens up her womb and gives her peace. He opens up her womb and he gives her peace. Solomon means peaceful. And I want you to hear me today. There is an undeniable peace that comes when we experience a second chance from God. The Bible says this, that having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me unpack that for you for just a moment. Pastor, what does that mean? What does that mean to be justified? How do we have peace with God because we're justified by faith? You know what justified or justification means? It means to declare righteous or innocent. And that's what happens when we put our faith in God and we accept the work of the cross. Because here's the truth. When we, when we receive Jesus into our hearts, or whenever we establish a relationship with him, you realize we were guilty as sin, literally. Everything that we had been accused of, we were guilty of sin. But justification is a court term. And it is a picture of a courtroom. And it would almost be as if I was standing trial in front of a judge. And maybe I had murdered a man and taken somebody's life and all the evidence was there and there was no way out. I had even declared my own guilt. And instead of the judge picking up the gavel and slamming it down and saying guilty, as charged and here is your punishment instead of doing that he would take the gavel and slam it down and he would say you are not guilty because I'm going to do the price I'm going to do the time for you I'm going to pay the price for you you are guilty as charged but I declare that you are innocent because I'm going to take care of it for you when we were justified by faith putting our our confidence in God and our trust in the work of the cross when we however we did it that day or that night Jesus looked down and said you are no longer guilty you are innocent because I am going to pay the price for you and now having been justified by faith we have a peace with God that only comes when we experience his grace and his mercy in our lives So she has this second chance. And there's a peace that comes when we know that God has not given up on us. There is a peace that comes when we understand that 
God is going to give us another opportunity. Brother Mike, come to the keys, please, if you don't mind, sir. And I want to close, and I want to give you this, this, this picture this morning. The very name, Bathsheba, it implies a second chance. Do you know what her name, her name literally means? Her name literally means daughter of an oath. Daughter of an oath or a covenant. Her name means to be complete. When you start unpacking that and you start digging that word out and really start studying that word, it carries the implication of the number seven. Now, there's some church folks in here, and I'm looking at a bunch of church folks. The number seven is not foreign to you. We always call it God's number. Because the number seven literally means completion. The number seven literally means to be full or have enough or to be satisfied. Watch. How many days of creation were there? There were six. Well, there were six days of creation. And what happened on the seventh day? What did God do? So on the seventh day, God looked at everything he had done, the Bible said. And what did he say? He said, it's good. And the number seven there means to be full, have enough of or be satisfied. You know why God rested Gene Turpin? Because he was satisfied with what he had done. And everything that he had needed to do, he had completed it. So he rested. Hebrews 10 and 12 says that Jesus, having made a sacrifice for sin one time, it says that he sat down. He made the sacrifice. They stretched him wide and they hung him high. In Hebrews 10 and 12 said after he made that sacrifice one time for sin forever there was only one sacrifice he ever had to make the Bible says he sat down at the right hand of God <clears throat> you know why he sat down because he had satisfied the requirements that God had you know why he sat down because he had completed the work God sent him to do you know why he sat down? Because he had perfected what had to be done so that we could have a relationship with him. He sat down. Watch. There's a saying that Jesus uttered on the cross. By the way, anybody know how many sayings there were of Jesus on the cross? How many? Seven. And the last thing he said one of the last things he said three words that speak to me of second chances it is finished you think that's coincidental 
that of the seven sayings, one of those seven sayings, it is finished. And the number seven means to be full or satisfied or have enough. He wasn't saying, you, you get, I need a little meat this morning to eat on. He wasn't saying, I am finished. It is finished. He was saying, I am satisfied with what I have done. I have completed what the Father sent me to do. And now because he could say it is finished, it is completed, it is satisfied, I am done, that means that you and I can have a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and we can miss the mark and we can mess up, but God will say, no, it's okay, come on back because I completed the work, I finished the work and there's still grace and there's still mercy and there's still love and there's still forgiveness and there's still kindness. Come on in, I want to give you one more chance. Oh, come on and praise the Lord this morning. Oh, hallelujah. Colossians 2 and 13 says that when we, when we were dead because of our sins and because of our sinful nature, God made us alive with Christ and forgave us all of our sins. Here's the entire gospel story summed up right here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him would not perish but have everlasting life. If that doesn't scream second chances, I don't know what does. I want you to stand. I want to give you... I want to give you a couple of things to take home. We're going to come to the altar in just a moment, so. <clears throat> what does Bathsheba teach us? Now listen, next Sunday, I'm going to talk to you about Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. Well, there's some revelation in her life. You know what I might just use for a title next Sunday? I might just call that sermon next Sunday, there's a hooker in the house. You don't want to miss these next few weeks. Somebody just, I mean, they just swallowed their tongue right there. Did you hear what he said? You go back and look at the life of Rahab in that house on top of that wall of Jericho. I'm going to tell you what. That was a woman of ill repute. I mean, she was messed up. Sold her body out for favors. But I'm going to tell you what, God, God used her to bring salvation to an entire household and he put her right down in the lineage of Jesus Christ. So when you leave, say, come next Sunday, pastor's going to preach, there's a hooker in the house. Here's what, Rahab, here's what Bathsheba teaches us. Number one, she teaches us that failure is not final. Did you hear me? Failure. Failure is not final, Brother Beckner. You may have messed up and you may have missed the mark, 
But that doesn't mean it's the end of your days, the end of your life. God has another opportunity. Here's the second thing she teaches us. That the seeds you sow always result in a harvest, good or bad. The seeds you sow always result in a harvest. Here's the third thing she teaches us. God's love is so amazing. He always, always gives us a second chance. Do I have anybody in here today you're grateful and glad for a God of second chances? <clears throat> I want you to bow your heads for a moment today, please, if you don't mind.